0: This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people.
1: Thank you. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Rach. Uh, What a privilege it is to be with you all today. I do have a bit of a confession. I put up my Christmas tree this week. And I am a firm believer in putting up my Christmas tree in November. And there's nothing biblical about that. But why would I, you know, push pause on joy? And that's, that's, that's how I view it. Anyway, um All that to be said, I have the privilege of sharing today a bit about the work of an amazing organisation called Compassion. Today is a celebration of a really long-standing partnership that Narara Valley Baptist has had with Compassion and continues to have. Um, And if you don't know much about Compassion, we are a Christ-centred, child-focused and church-based organisation, releasing over two million children from Poverty and it doesn't stop there because we are doing it in Jesus' name. And there's no other name in the world that I would want to do such an amazing work in. We are in 25 different countries in over 8,000 churches, um, including the amazing country of Thailand. And some of you may know, some of you may not know, uh, but Narara Valley Baptist has a rich partnership with many, many churches in the northern Thailand area. I know some of you have have been to Thailand and um, been able to visit your sponsor child. And can I encourage you today, if that's you or maybe you've, you've been on a missions trip, you've seen the work, uh, can I encourage you this morning to share your story with someone, maybe afterwards when we are having a coffee? Um, because what a privilege it is that we get to be a voice for the voiceless. Uh, so my encouragement today is to share that story with someone. Uh, but I am celebrating today because through this church, we are seeing 72 children sponsored. Yes, that's worth a worth a round of applause. And that is a magnificent number, but can I say, just because that number is big, um, God goes after the one. And I love that that number is 72 children, but that represents a child that God loves and knows and cherishes. And that child has a family that receives the support of compassion as well. And by extension, your sponsorship actually resources their local church. So thank you so much for your sponsorship. It makes such a huge impact in that child and in the family's lives. And another number I saw uh, this week uh, was over the last 12 months between sponsors and sponsored children, there have been 315 letters that have been written back and forth. And I was so encouraged by that number because, you know, there is no greater moment for a child than when a project director has a stack of letters that they got from head office and they bring them to the centre and all the kids crowd around and you're just waiting for your name to be called and then your name gets called and it's the best feeling ever. So for some of you that might be a bit of an encouragement to write to your sponsor child today Um, but thank you for those of you who are writing. Hey I wanted to share a little bit of a story with you uh, of an adventure I went on last year. I don't know if you can think of anything that sounds more ridiculous than actively choosing to go on a cross-country bike ride from Perth to Newcastle in 33 days. Yep. I was the insane person that chose to do that. However, um, I did the slightly more ridiculous thing and instead of being on a bike, uh, I chose to sit in a bus that was going 25 kilometres per hour across the country, watching the backsides of riders um, for 33 days straight. That is me uh, in the polo shirt. I was very happy that day because it was the last day I had to wear that polo shirt after wearing it for... 33 days. Um, But uh, there I am and we did. 24 riders and 15 support crew embark on a journey across Australia and uh, praise God we were able to see nearly a million dollars raised for the Ministry of Compassion through that endeavour. But let me tell you, We went into this thing with a little bit of a chip on our shoulders. We thought, you know, we're doing this amazing thing that not a lot of people will ever do. And we're doing it for charity. okay? And like not just any charity, but a Christian charity. So we've got to be God's favourites right now. Now, we were definitely quickly humbled. We weren't just humbled by the long days or the tired legs or the exhausted minds. But we were humbled by generosity because, you see, each day we would turn up to a new small town in Australia that you've probably never heard of, and we were welcomed by a church. And some of these churches had 30 people, some only had five. But no matter how big or small they were, they rallied as many people as they could in the town to cheer us in. They took us into their homes without knowing us at all. They fed us dinner. They gave us a place to sleep. They gave us a place to shower. Hallelujah. And um, on top of all of that, they actually donated to the cause. And we were just so humbled. They didn't even know us, but they gave so beautifully out of the little that they had. And this moment for me actually brought me back three years earlier to uh, when I went to the Philippines in 2019. And I went to the Philippines with compassion. And this is actually the first time I'd ever really seen extreme poverty up close. And I, I didn't know what to expect I thought, you know, maybe I'd turn up to this big center and kids are getting like food handouts and medical checkups. Like, I didn't know what to expect. But I turned up and it's the church. It's pastors, it's families. I'm looking for the compassion signs, but there's no compassion signs because we're not trying to lift up the name of compassion. We're trying to lift up the name of Jesus. So you turn up and it's just the church building pastors and families, it's churches that should be so wildly under-resourced because of the part of the world that they live in that are actually the light in their community. Pastors know their flock, not just the people that turn up on a Sunday morning, but some of the most vulnerable children and families in their community. And it reminds me of in the Bible when Jesus, Jesus' disciples were arguing about who is the greatest, well, what Jesus did is he took a little child, brought him alongside him and said, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Jesus is saying the way that we care about children matters. The way that we care for the vulnerable, the least of these, those who are not the greatest matters. That instead of arguing about who is the greatest, well maybe we should be asking ourselves, who is caring for the smallest Well, at compassion, we have the privilege of helping churches all over the world care for their children, to fill up their hungry tummies, to teach them how to write their name and tie their shoes. But most of all, we are introducing these kids to the love of their Heavenly Father. And each year in our Compassion Centres, over 100,000 children make the decision to follow Jesus each year. And that was true for my friend Teresa. We got a photo of Teresa. Teresa. Teresa lives in Sydney uh, with her husband, who's an Aussie, but she was born in the Philippines and she was a Compassion sponsored child. Now, growing up in the Philippines, Teresa and her family were living in extreme poverty and they'd heard about Compassion's program. Now, the parents were particularly intrigued by the educational benefits of Compassion. They thought, you know, maybe Teresa could be the first in their family to go to university. Now, they were a little apprehensive because it is a Christian program. It's not the background that their family come from. But they thought, you know what? Let's just put that to the side for now. Let's go for the educational benefits. So Teresa became a sponsor child. and Can I tell you, church, she loved it. She loved the care and the support that she got from the Compassion Centre. She felt like it was home there. She found out that she has a Father in Heaven who has a purpose and a future for her. And she loved it so much that she decided she wanted to go to church and to youth activities whenever they were happening outside of the Compassion Program. But unfortunately, this wasn't okay with Teresa's dad. And sadly, every time that he found out that she had gone to church beyond compassion, he would sadly beat her. But Teresa had a solid relationship with God and she loved the care and support she received from the church It felt like it was home when she was there. And she held on to Scripture to be strong and courageous, that if she was saved, her whole household would be saved. So despite the persecution, despite her young age, she kept going to church, believing that's where she was meant to be. One day there was a fire that broke out in Teresa's community and a lot of people had lost their homes, including Teresa and her family. Now, um, Compassion were the first to step in and they actually offered temporary accommodation for Teresa and her family at the church. Now, Teresa was stoked. She's like, sweet, I get to hang out with my church family all the time. This is gonna be awesome. But her dad, he was a little apprehensive, but hey, it's free accommodation. It's what the family needed at the time. So for a couple of months, Teresa and her family lived at the church. And one day, on a Sunday... Teresa's dad decided to have a little sticky beak and sit in the back of a church service just to check it out, see what it's all about. It was on that day that he heard a message preached on John 3.16 and his eyes were open to God for the very first time. He kept coming back week after week and just absorbing the good news of the gospel message. He made the decision to follow Jesus. He got water baptised. And can I tell you, three years later, Teresa's dad actually became the project director for the Compassion Centre that Teresa had grown up in. And this is just one of millions of stories where whole families have been transformed where generations of spiritual strongholds have been broken and poverty no longer has the final say in these families' lives. You see, God has interrupted the storyline. The narrative of poverty that says you are not enough, that everything around you is worthless and so are you. Well, that lie has changed to the truth that you are enough that you have a purpose and a future that the hope within you is so much greater than the poverty that surrounds you and i want to show you a story today um, it was actually i wanted to show it today because it's uh, been filmed about eight weeks ago it's really really fresh and um, our team went over to the philippines actually to film it and uh, it really moved my heart so i'd love to show you that
2: my childhood life was a very challenging When we are studying, we have to share pencils. The pencil you must sharpen it, it will get smaller. But we must use it until it will be until the eraser or the pencil will get smaller. We lose some hopes because we think we are not getting to high school. Our house is at the back of our church. We have a small window. I can see people playing. I started going to church for four years old. I remember I was playing outside. My mother called me, Angel, you'll take some pictures and they will register you. Compassion Ministry has provided us school supplies. More friends, more connection to others, also, my sponsor gave me a gift every birthdays so we don't have to share some, some pencils, some socks, some bags. I remember I said, now I can go to high school. Now I can go to college because of this program. I can feel that every time I wrote the letter to my sponsor, I, I just imagine I, I, was, I was talking to her face to face. Surprisingly, my sponsor gave it a fund to buy a guitar. It's like an engine to my faith. So I want to give best to God by serving and by playing guitar. This we started our business to have this printing shop, I said to my wife that this is a business but it is also a ministry. Back then when I was young, we were struggling with school supplies. And right now, I'm selling his school supplies now. Sometimes I sell the school supplies, especially to the kids, on cheaper price. And sometimes it's free because I've been there, I've been there, it's hard. I have two kids. It brings me a joy that I can provide. If my sponsor was here, or if my sponsor was watching me. She changed my life. I just want to hug her. rotating my life, my situation. Releasing me from poverty, and releasing me from spiritual poverty.
1: What a powerful story. We actually got shown that um, about two weeks ago at our, uh, our staff conference. And I went home that day and I sponsored another child. And I'm not usually that like swayed. I'm usually very calculated. Um, but I just kind of realised uh, something that means little to me, a sacrifice that is quite small for me, means everything to a child and to a family and that really sunk in for me on that day and I sponsored another child. And the beauty is we do have the privilege of partnering with these amazing families by sponsoring a child. And uh, today we have children available for sponsorship. They're from Thailand, um, where the partnership is. So if travel is something that you're interested in, it's back on the cards for us as Compassion. Um, Maybe it would be great for you to sponsor a child within Thailand um, in that partnering area. Um, We've got young kids, older kids. Um, But we've also got a few kids from around the world that are quite close to my heart, uh, which are children that are a little bit older. Um, I've got my friend here. His name is Sherry. He lives in Togo. He's actually 20 years old. Uh, He's been waiting 140 days for a sponsor. And you might be thinking, Rachel, that's not a sponsor child. That's a sponsor man. Um, (laughs) Why is he available for sponsorship? Well, we wouldn't have registered him later on. He has probably been in Compassion's program uh, since he was a young boy. Uh, But what would have happened is, in the last couple of years, uh, his sponsor would have cancelled on him for whatever reason, financial reasons, we don't really know. Um, but he still needs someone to finish him well and get him over the line. And I feel really passionately about these older children um, because I really want to see them finish well. They probably don't think they're going to have another sponsor and someone finishing them off. Um, but I feel really compelled that today we can get some of these older sponsor kids sponsored. Um, he's got about a year left in the program. So about 12 months left and um, if you're someone today that thinks hey yeah I could sponsor a kid for um, a couple of years two or three more years um, then please consider sponsoring an older child today we will be out in the foyer Um, a team of us will be able to help you with any questions you might have about compassion so please come and see us share some stories with us if you are uh, a sponsor already but as a close could I pray for these beautiful children that we have here represented today Father God, we just thank you that you are a God who goes after the, the orphan and the widow, Lord, and the vulnerable God. You're a Lord that goes after the one, Father. And I thank you that each and every one of these children that are here today are known and loved and protected, God. That you do have a purpose and a future for each and every one of them, God. I pray that this morning you would meet them where they're at, Lord. Meet their families where they're at, Lord. Um, Encourage them today, Father, with your goodness, Lord. I pray they would be open to your word and to your son, God. And Lord, we just lift up uh, Thailand, Lord, the, the churches that we're partnering with there. God. Um, I just thank you that even in some volatile circumstances, Lord, they are bold into glaring your goodness, God. So we just pray for their pastors, for their staff, for their volunteers that are doing church even today, God. Um, would you be with them, Lord? Would you keep them close, Father? And we thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to partner um, with these amazing families. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much and uh, we'll see you soon.
0: Thank you, Rachel. So I've been thinking uh, this week um, about what I might preach today uh, for Compassion Sunday. Uh, usually, we we have like a preaching series that we work through week by week, and every week builds on the one before. Uh, but this is a one-off, and uh, I can preach on anything I like. Um, and so... Uh, I started out thinking that I would preach a message this morning uh, about justice and about compassion, because it's Compassion Sunday. Uh, and somehow in the process, I ended up with a slightly different idea. It's, it, it's still related, but we're starting in a slightly different spot. Um, we're starting, uh, I think, a step before uh, the concept of, of you know, justice and compassion. Uh, we're thinking about our relationship with God. Uh, some of us yesterday, as Travis mentioned, uh, spent the whole day thinking about our relationship with our spouse. Um, and so uh, maybe that's why it was on my mind. But I wonder, how do you relate to God? What is your relationship with God like? How do you talk to God? How does God talk to you? How do you think about God? What's your concept of this being? Uh, I think some people think of God as, as a distant Thing out there off up in the clouds, maybe, or something like that uh, that that kind of God that they think of is, is vaguely interested in humanity as a whole uh, and barely registers the the insignificance of me as an individual. Some people think of God as a kind of cosmic security guard. Uh, You know, someone who is constantly vigilant, watching your every action on his spiritual CCTV, listening to every word that you say, even monitoring your thoughts, watching and waiting for you to do something wrong, constantly angry with you, or at least constantly disappointed in you, because you keep getting it wrong. Some people think of God as a sort of Cosmic vending machine, someone where you go to for supernatural help uh, when things get too hard for you to deal with it on your own. But this God will only help you, this vending machine will only give you what you ask for if you put in the right coins, if you do the right things, or say the right words, or have enough faith. And actually that one, they didn't have vending machines in the ancient world, but that idea, that concept of God was quite prevalent uh, in the time of this prophet called Micah. Uh, the people believed in God. They, they called themselves God's people. Uh, they, they thought of themselves as religious. And they believed that God would do what they wanted what was good for them, if they did all the right things. They believed they could buy God, like you buy a snack at a vending machine. Now I wonder, and I don't know this, because this happened like 3,000 years ago, but I wonder if this was perhaps their default in all their relationships, not just with God, but with other people too. Perhaps in their hearts, they believed that all relationships were transactional. This is quite a common thing in today's world. You know, if I do this for you, then you owe me, and you have to do something equivalent for me. If I give you this gift, then I can expect a favor, or at least a a big thank you in return. If I provide for my children then they have to obey me and love me as their father. If I help a friend move house, then he has to buy me dinner or, or a case of beer. If you do something for me, then I am at a disadvantage. Now I owe you something, and I feel bad until I've evened out the score. A lot of people treat each other like this, in friendships, in families, in marriages, we learned yesterday it's not a good way to do a marriage. But some of us even have this kind of transactional relationship with God. Let's have a look. In Micah chapter 6, verse 6 to 8. "'With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old?' Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So the people have this question. You know the, the prophet Micah, up to this point, has spent six chapters trying to explain to them how warped their lives are and how wrong their behavior is. Everyone in the nation is living the wrong way, from the poor and lowly peasant farmer to the rich and powerful king in the palace. Even the high priest and all the priests at the temple are getting it wrong. You can read chapters 1 through 5, for yourself. I don't have time today to read the whole thing. Uh, There's a lot going on. There's a lot going wrong. I mean, don't get me wrong. These people are very religious. Like, they go to the temple at all the right times of year, all the right days of the week. Uh, They sacrifice animals on the altar. They do all the rituals. They pray all the prayers. The issue is with their hearts. The issue is that they don't really love God. Uh, Even in this chapter, in chapter 6, verse 3, God asks them, how have I wearied you? Because the people are grumpy. The people are saying, oh, we have to sacrifice all these animals, we have to do all these festivals at this temple, we have to pray all these prayers and sing all these psalms. And for what? We don't get anything in return. It's not worth it. We're tired of it. And so, almost out of exasperation, I think there's a hint here of, of a kind of sarcasm or cynicism. They ask these questions. Here, I'll highlight them for you. They start off saying, you know, what am I supposed to do? Should I come and and give an offering? A burnt offering, a calf, a year old. That's kind of the standard offering in the, in the law, in the temple. And then they're like, oh, well, that's not enough. Uh, what if I uh, give a 1,000 rams? What if I give 10,000 rivers of olive oil? There's this escalation. They're kind of asking, exasperated with God, what is it going to cost us, God? How much do we have to give you? What will it take to buy your affection? What do we owe you for all the mistakes that we've been making that you've just laid out in the first five chapters? But this isn't how a relationship with God is supposed to work. Because the religious tasks that God has given them to do, of sacrificing animals and pouring out olive oil on the altar and all this stuff they're supposed to do, it isn't a payment for their past mistakes and it isn't some kind of weird bribe to get God to love them. That's not why God has instituted these rituals. They're not supposed to be putting God in their debt so that he will answer their prayers. But they're getting desperate. It's just not making sense to them. And out of desperation to make a point, they say this insane thing. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Are we supposed to be sacrificing our children on the altar in the temple? Would that be enough for you, God? What would be enough for God, enough to prove how sorry they are for their sins, enough to buy his favour, enough to be saved from the invading armies that are surrounding them, that the Assyrians are on their doorstep at this point, and they're freaking out, and they're saying, God, what do we have to do to get your attention? What do we have to do to get you to answer our prayers? What is enough? What is enough? Enough, says God. You already know what is good. I've already told you what I require from you. And it isn't religious rituals, and it isn't some kind of expensive payment. It isn't some lavish, over-the-top gesture. Because it isn't about you. Act justly love mercy walk humbly with your god uh, in the message paraphrase of this verse uh, eugene peterson says uh, do what is fair and just to your neighbor be compassionate and loyal in your love and don't take yourself too seriously take god seriously what they needed to learn was that God wants more than a transactional relationship with us. God wants more than some religious rituals or sacrificial giving. But actually, hang on a second, because more is not the right word for what God wants. It isn't quite right. It isn't that God wants more from them. Like... Even those insane things <laughs> they were offering is not enough. It isn't that God wants more from us, that these rituals are not enough. God wants a different kind of relationship. The three things here that God requires, justice, mercy, and humility, these things aren't like the things that people thought God wanted from them. These three three things aren't really payments that you can make. They're unquantifiable. You see, these three things expand out the relationship between us and God, between people Individuals and God. They enfold others. They include a bigger context. And they reach deep into our hearts. I mean, think about it. That first one, justice. Justice is what we do for other people. It's not really for God, exactly. Justice is how we treat people. Justice is thinking about what impact my life and my choices have on someone else. Justice is about considering others, considering what is right and good and fair. Justice is about not taking advantage of others. Justice is about not treating other people as a resource to be exploited. The transactional attitude we were talking about before leaves us vulnerable to injustice. We think, I'll just get whatever I can get and take whatever I can take. Profiting from other people, getting an advantage over them, is not justice. And to step it up a notch... Let's think about mercy. Mercy is to have deep compassion and care in your heart, not for God, but for others. Again, to care about those who need great care, those who are suffering and in need, to not overlook them, to not forget about them. And this isn't something you can do as a kind of ritual, as a payment. This is something that you feel, something that is an attitude of the heart, not out of compulsion and not out of what you can gain. I mean, what are you going to gain from someone in need of mercy? You're the giver. They are the one gaining. You do it out of love for what you can give them in their time of need. And so, again, these all link together. This leads us to humility, to walk humbly with God. Humility entirely dispenses with the transactional attitude towards people and towards God. Humility says, I am willing to come out of this transaction as the loser, I am going to give and you are going to receive and I'm not going to get anything back and I'm fine with that. That's humility. Because true love is not transactional. Love is humble. (laughs) God has spent, in the book of Micah, if you do go home and read it, God has spent six chapters trying to get through to these people He has been saying to them, You're getting it wrong. You're falling short. You've been disobeying my commands. You're not measuring up to the standards that we agreed when we formed this covenant the covenant with your ancestors, the covenant with Moses. And now God says, Walk with me. Walk with me. It's a welcome. It's an invitation to simply walk alongside him, to do life with him. He's inviting them back into a close relationship with him, almost a partnership with him, even though they've fallen so far short. God isn't interested at this moment in exacting some kind of payment out of them, to even this ledger. They couldn't afford it anyway. I don't know if you noticed, there's a little hint, a little Easter egg hidden here. Uh, when they, in their exasperation, unknowingly say, shall we give our firstborn sons? Little did they know, all those years later, God was already planning to do the mirror image of that, to give his firstborn son for them. Amazing, isn't it? God himself was going to be the one to pay the price, to not exact it from them, to not expect it from them, to not ask it from them. He invites them to walk with him, knowing that he will pay the price needed to make that possible, to make that a reality. All they needed to do was accept his invitation to walk humbly with their God. All of this has been a sermon in in view of leading us to a time of prayer, uh, a long intro to a prayer time. Um, I think on a day like this, uh, it can be so easy to kind of shortcut the process, to say... Uh, There are kids in need, we have money, give us your money. Uh, And actually, uh, on my heart this week has been uh, to speak to our hearts, uh, to hear what God is saying to our hearts, to give a context and a a wonder to this moment. uh, To realize uh, that these things, justice and mercy and humility, are attitudes of our hearts uh, that God is inviting us to walk alongside him, that he is a God of justice, that he is a God of mercy, that he is a God of compassion. And when we walk with him, we walk in justice and we walk in mercy. Uh, so I do want to reiterate and invite you again to sponsor a child this morning, uh, but to do it with this heart. Uh, so let's pray for our hearts. Uh, and align ourselves with God. Lord, we acknowledge uh, that sometimes uh, we get some funny ideas about who you are, and sometimes we want to relate to you on our terms. Uh, we want to relate to you uh, in unhealthy ways. And God, uh, we want to know you deeply. We want to draw near to you this morning. Lord, we, we praise you and we thank you for Jesus, who, uh, through whose sacrifice we can come uh, into a knowledge of you, that we can walk closely with you, alongside you. Lord, that we don't need to buy your favor, uh, that we don't need to pay for our sins. Lord, that you invite us and welcome us and call us your children. And Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that we would have hearts like yours, hearts that long for things to be right, that care when things are unfair, hearts of justice. Lord, we want hearts uh, that are moved by compassion and mercy. Uh, when we see need, uh, we long for things to be put right. We long to be part of putting it right in partnership with you. And Lord, I pray uh, that you would give us again uh, the gift of humility. Lord, that we would think less of ourselves and think more of you, uh, to consider you as the main character and not me. Uh, Lord, uh, to put you in your rightful place as our Lord and our Saviour and our King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.